0: Hi, my name's Verity and you're listening to The Beacon, the Oxford International Relations Society podcast. In this episode, I speak to Louise Barton, Head of Human Resources at the Council of Europe and former Special Advisor to the Council of Europe Secretary-General. We discuss the Council of Europe's unique role in international relations, how diplomacy works in action and career advice for IR and diplomacy roles. Now this all takes place against a background of increasing uncertainty in Europe, particularly around Britain's role. So it's a really important conversation about the role of these institutions like the Council of Europe and their future. Three quick plugs. One, please send in your ideas and feedback. We're key to produce episodes on topics that you want to learn more about. Two, check out IRSOC for their events and their magazine The Lighthouse. And three, please share the beacon to your friends and family that might be interested. This is how we grow and improve. So now onto the interview. I hope you enjoy. Welcome to the podcast, Louise. Um, I was wondering if you could firstly describe the role of the Council of Europe.
1: Yes, sure, Verity. So the Council of Europe is an intergovernmental organisation. Uh, we have 47 member states, Um practically all the European uh, countries apart from Belorussia. So we have Iceland, we have the Russian Federation, we have Azerbaijan, Georgia, Armenia, um, Scandinavian countries, really all the European countries. And uh, the role of the Council of Europe is to um, protect and promote and safeguard human rights, democracy and the rule of law across the European continent by, through the cooperation of its member states and through the international treaties which they've signed up to, the most famous one of those being the European Convention on Human Rights.
0: And the Council of Europe is unique in that it focuses on European collective um, issues rather than the European Union which focuses on political and economic integration. Um, with that unique role, what are some of the unique challenges that it faces today?
1: Uh, I would say that the Council of Europe has always been um, a place where countries can come together to talk and to cooperate and to exchange. Um, perhaps what some people would think of as weakness is also a strength. Um, it's not a, an organisation which has an enormous budget. It's not a very well-known organisation sometimes, although most people do know about the Convention on Human Rights. Um, so that might be seen as a weakness compared to the European Union, which has a lot of economic might and um, has really is really working towards a lot of integration of its member states, um, political and economic integration. At the same time, I think it can be a strength for the Council of Europe because it means that in our forum, member states um, can come and discuss uh, issues of human rights, democracy and the rule of law, come to common agreements on what they understand by that, and then um, put in place um, rules which they all sign up to, and which, between themselves, they also then um, police to some extent, so they make sure that everyone is is sticking to the same uh, legal space and the same types of rules.
0: And there have been three sort of uh, challenges which have featured quite heavily in the press recently, one being the case of Ilgar Mammadov, a political prisoner in Azerbaijan, um, second being Russia's non-payment um, of the Council of Europe's parliamentary budget and a third being uh, Britain's um, perhaps tension with the European Convention of Human Rights. Does the Council of Europe have a red line scenario to deal with these challenges?
1: I think that um, if you ask our Secretary-General Torbjorn Yagland, he would always say that for him The best way to make progress is to keep talking as long as you can with the other party. Um, He has a lot of experience. He was Prime Minister of Norway. Uh, He was also Foreign Minister for a very long time, particularly when um, Norway played a very active part in um, trying to find a peace agreement between Israel and um, the Palestinians. And so I think his point of view is always to keep talking as long as you can. Um, that doesn't mean though that you can accept everything and I think that for the Council of Europe is um, in some of the areas you've mentioned uh, finding the balance about how long you can keep dialoguing with a member state trying to find ways forward and what you do um, in the final, um, final uh, solution when, um, when nothing can be, when you see that no progress is being made at all.
0: And you've highlighted the role of communication there. Um, In your role as a special advisor to the Secretary General, you were one of the crucial links in that communication chain. Could you perhaps explain what your role was?
1: Sure. So um, special advisors to to our Secretary General, or in fact to most politicians, it's a fairly usual role, um, are there basically to act, first of all, I would say, as a filter um, between everything that's going on outside Um, the private office of the Secretary-General, which can be things in the organisation but also political developments, um, contacts with representatives of member states, obviously a lot is going on and not all of that can be dealt with directly by the Secretary-General so our first role is to see what the Secretary-General needs to know about, um, make sure that he or she knows uh, those things and that they can take decisions when they need to take decisions. And obviously to also advise them on our specialist um, subjects, each advisor covers a certain amount of topics and it's your responsibility to keep up to date and to make sure that you give the best possible advice you can.
0: And over your 26 years of experience at Council of Europe, you've um, held numerous positions. What were your, um, did you fall into a career at the Council of Europe and international relations or was it... Um, a goal that you're working towards.
1: I would say that probably I fell into the council to a lot of, to a great extent. Um, I was always very interested in living abroad. Um, I always had this idea that I wanted to spend at least part of my life living outside the United Kingdom. Um, so um, when I finished uh, my first degree, um, after a couple of years. I thought, OK, let's, let's go abroad for a while. Um, I happened to see a job ad- advertised in the Council of Europe without really knowing much or indeed anything about the Council of Europe. For me, like for most people, it was just some sort of um, international organisation, but I wouldn't really have been able to say exactly what it did. Um, went over there, went to Strasbourg, thinking that probably I would spend a few years and then uh, perhaps do something else with myself. And then little by little, as I discovered the Council of Europe, as a lot of people do, they kind of, um, first of all, identify very strongly strongly with the values of the Council of Europe, um, feel that the job there is uh, worthwhile and important, and also that it's um, a very nice place to work. I mean, once you've worked with people from a lot of different countries, um, interacted with their cultures, uh, had that kind of overall political um, view... On Europe as a whole it's so fascinating that I think it would be quite hard to leave it behind for a lot of people so many people I think have my experience that they went there perhaps not expecting to spend their whole careers there and then often stayed some people move on to other international organizations um, as well so there's a certain amount of moving around between international organizations Um, but people often
0: like to stay in these institutions and one of the special things about the Council of Europe is that it's situated in Strasbourg, which is on the French side of the French-German border, so a symbolic uh, meeting point between the two countries. And also, it's in the Alsace-Lorraine region, which has changed hands between the two countries over the past centuries' wars. Um, and one of the sort of legacies of that today is that it has um, many languages. Um, being used um, so English and French the official languages um, and there are people from all around the world as you said um, how important are languages and openness to different nationalities to a career in international relations
1: I think it's important to um, already be ready to uh, and curious about learning another language about meeting other cultures and um, Often, uh, particularly in the United Kingdom, I know now that a lot of people don't necessarily study a second language to a very high level because it's true that English is increasingly a language which is used a lot um, also in international organisations. It's a very, uh, very widely used language and a lot of people do communicate in English. But at the same time, I think that um, people should show that even if they don't necessarily have a very high level of of another language, that they're interested in learning, perhaps they're taking lessons if they applied for a job um, in another in an international organization. Um, Because it's clear that when you're actually working both in the organization and living in another country, uh, okay, you can get by just speaking one language, but I think you lose a lot. It's a shame not to speak the second language. And um, I mean, at work, for example, we tend to switch very easily between English and French all the time. Um, people will start a sentence, sometimes English, finish it in French, or drop different words in. And I think that's part of the, the richness and the enjoyment of w- working in an international organization. And I think you also have to be ready for the fact that when you work with people from uh, many other countries, in our case, it's 47 member states. Not everybody has the same experience um, of uh, or, or the same culture. And if you look at our member states, a lot of people have um, lived through very, very different histories, communist times, um, big upheavals. Their countries have been even split into two countries. So there's a really a lot of culture and history which is different from country to country. At the same time, we have a shared European culture, but you have to be prepared for the fact that Just on a very practical level, different um, cultures may have different ideas about how you work together in the workplace, about how you communicate, and I think you have to be open to that and not always think that our way is the best way of doing it.
0: And arguably Europe is currently in a period of upheavals. Um, For example, the threats of populism, terrorism, uh, the migration crisis, to name a few. What is your vision for the future of Council of Europe, one that perhaps future graduates might work for? Uh, I
1: think that, in a way, um, all these crises that you've mentioned are exactly the sort of areas where the Council of Europe has a really important role to play, because um, whether we're talking about populism or, or terrorism or the refugee crisis, it's clear that we have to take into account... Human rights standards um, that people uh, are all human beings and all have a a right to certain to a certain level of um, respect and dignity, and um, democracy and the rule of law also extremely extremely important. If you look at populism, for example, it's all around what is democracy? What do we mean by democracy today? And I think that um, these standards are a really strong foundation with which we can address these questions. Um, Human rights is something which evolves uh, with time as well. I mean, there's lots of new subjects uh, which the Council of Europe is now covering, which uh, maybe 10, 20 years ago were much less on the agenda. For example, the the rights of people, of LGBTI people, is something which is um, now very much to the forefront in some of our work. Um, we're also looking at issues such as how you protect human rights in um, the internet age. Uh, how do you protect people's privacy? How do they, how do you protect um, their right to to not have their personal data or things they might have published once to remain on the internet forever? So these are you know questions which are evolving all the time, and where we really have um, a lot of uh, both experience and also I think uh, a solid basis in that we bring together governments who talk together and try to find together rules that they can accept.
0: So both fascinating and challenging questions ahead. Louise Barton, thank you very much, um, and thank you for listening to The Beacon.